0: Welcome to Beyond Politics. I'm Paul Hodes with my co-host Matt Robeson. We're broadcast on WKXLAM and FM and podcast wherever you can find your podcasts. You can also visit us at nhtalkradio.com. So a few weeks ago, we had as our guest on the show, my former colleague Congressman John Sarbanes, the author of HR1, which Matt and I described as the most important bill in Congress. It's a bill that had been a long time in the making, such a long time that I even worked on a version of it when I was in Congress. It fixes how we do politics and government in this country, addressing campaign finance reform, government ethics, and voting and election laws. And it's just passed in. The democratically controlled House of Representatives. And now, a, a group of former aides to Senator Bernie Sanders has launched a new group aimed at exciting young people about HR1. It's actually a pack, and it's called Unpack. So, we're going to unpack, unpack. Um, They're focusing on millennials and Gen Zers of all political persuasions, including those on the right. We have two of these very impressive leaders with us today. I want to welcome Shana Gallagher and Jocelyn Garcia to Beyond
1: Politics.
2: Thank you, Paul. Hello.
1: Hello. Hi,
2: everyone.
1: And by the way, can I just cut in there and say that for our audio listeners out there, uh, Shayna and Joseline just had the greatest reaction to unpack, unpack. So I want to <laughs> ask you a question right off the bat. Is that the first time anyone has made that joke in, a, in an interview with you? Because it, it's, it sure seemed like it.
3: it. It really was. And I've, we've been thinking it to ourselves every time we talk about how we should discuss what unpack does, but well done, Paul, you, we will never forget you for this reason. And many more,
1: Paul, you are an I innovator. Will.
2: i will say coming up with the name was perhaps the hardest part of this entire journey so i appreciate it
0: yeah well i'm always glad to be on the cutting edge of something to uh robeson's consternation it's often on on this show and he has no idea what's coming but let's start um you both uh, are are founders of uh the of unpack um where where do you come from? Where, where have you been? What have you been doing? And what motivated you to launch the effort? What's what's you, I'm interested in your individual stories, and then how you how you decided to do this.
2: Right. Thank you so much for the question. I really appreciate it. And um, as mentioned, my name is Jocelyn Garcia, and I'm originally from Los Angeles, California. I'm a daughter of. Um, parents from Mexico and Guatemala. And a lot of the reasons that I got involved in politics was really of the situations that I was witnessing growing up. Immigration has always been a very real experience with my parents and my loved ones, um, incarceration, the school to prison pipeline, education, and you know, trying to reach that quote unquote, American dream. You know, that's that's what I grew up with. And that's something that I was hearing about and seeing every day. And a lot of what I was also seeing were just injustices that didn't make sense to me. And I couldn't accept that that is what needed to happen. I knew a lot of these people and I knew that they were good people. And so I couldn't accept that a lot of the injustices that they were experiencing, they deserved. But it wasn't until I got into high school where I learned about Oppression and institutions like racism and white supremacy. And then that's where a lot of things started really clicking. And I realized that there are actual players who benefit from the marginalization of people, of people who look like my parents and people who are community members. And that's when I thought, you know, I need to do something about this. And originally, funny story, I wanted to be a Disney animator. And part of it was because. My dad's a gardener, my mother's a housekeeper, and one of their clients is actually a Disney animator. So I thought, you know what? I'm just gonna try to shift the culture of young people through Disney and try to really create a different image of what Latinos are. So I wanted to create the first Latina princess and make her like the greatest badass person out there. Um, But when I got into um, uh, more in high school and also specifically in college, I was introduced to grassroots organizing. So I knew what grassroots grassroots movements were, but I didn't realize that I as a young person and I as a Latina could do something about these injustices right now. That I didn't have to wait until I had a degree or I didn't have to wait until I was 30 years old to really I, address the injustices that I was seeing. And my peers actually were the ones who empowered me the tools. They taught me how to organize and then from there I started getting involved in various organizations and I also got introduced to my former boss and Shane as well Senator Bernie Sanders when I was in college and I I kept on getting involved. Um, I moved to Washington DC after college to become the president of the United States Student Association and then I went on to the Sanders campaign and I organized students across California, New York, which Shayna and Shayna led the national program. But to answer your story in a shorter, excuse me, answer your question in a shorter form, what got me involved was, again, a lot of the lived experiences that I was seeing and realizing that I had the power as a young person to do something about it. And what I feel is often missing with the general public, not just people, I mean, excuse me, young people, is that we're not empowered to be change agents. And I don't think that that is a coincidence. And so one of the reasons why I continue to stay dedicated to young people is because there is very real power with young people when we give them the tools to actually organize. And so it's a lot of those reasons that incentivize me to continue this work after the Sanders campaign. And I'm gonna toss it to Shana now.
3: Thank you, Jocelyn. And thanks y'all so much for having us on today. My story is very different, but obviously led us to the same conclusion, which I think speaks to the power of young people organizing around democracy reform as a uniquely unifying issue, and that is inherent in our strategy here at UNPAC. I have always cared deeply about climate change and have considered it my life's purpose to try to avert catastrophic climate change, and I started or helped start a fossil fuel divestment campaign at my school, and that was a very formative experience for me. So like Jocelyn, I was a student organizer myself. It was a lived experience that led me to realize my own agency and is why I have gone on to create massive student organizing programs as a career ever since. But through my journey trying to organize my administration, Tufts University, I'm going to give you a shout out, still haven't divested from fossil fuels 10 years later, um, through that journey of trying to get my administration to do the right thing and to stop profiting from the climate crisis and protect the students that they were educating and supposedly supporting to have fruitful and flourishing futures, I realized that the real obstacle to passing meaningful climate policy is big money in politics. And that until we pass meaningful democracy reform, we will not be able to pass meaningful climate policy on the federal level despite being the country that has the most unique responsibility in causing the climate crisis because the fossil fuel lobby has successfully blocked that sort of legislation our entire lives. So I have always wanted to in some form try to get big money out of politics as a means to saving the planet and this is a connection and a through line that I don't think a lot of young people draw. Our generation is very passionate about a lot of issues. You know, we care overwhelmingly about climate change and access to health care and potentially canceling student debt. Bernie Sanders, for example, was overwhelmingly popular among our generation because we believe in the issues that he stood for. But most of us don't connect the dots between our broken democracy and the need to fix it before we can win things like a Green New Deal. And I think that's because we've seen such a broken system our whole lives and we don't realize how bad things have gotten because it really has gotten much worse. And we don't realize that things don't need to stay this way. And we in fact have an opportunity right now with this legislation that is our primary campaign, HR1, to fix things in the most dramatic way that we've seen in our lifetimes. So I have always wanted to help bring about that youth movement to demand long overdue structural democracy reform. I never thought I would work in elections because our campaign finance system is so messed up. I was like, that's a terrible use of my time. What a really bad idea. And then I was recruited to the Beto for Texas campaign. Your viewers can't see, but I'm wearing a Beto shirt right now. And I ended up being able to create and manage our student organizing program, which at the time was, I believe the largest electoral student organizing program in at least Senate campaign history, maybe even national history, at least until the national student organizing program that I was able to create and manage and run on the Bernie campaign. And the reason I decided to stay in electoral politics, at least up through the cycle was because I realized if I care about climate change, then the thing that I should really do is help defeat Donald Trump because he is a pretty big threat to the climate. But now that that is over, We are once again faced with this question of how can, or at least I am, how can we move forward meaningful climate policy at the urgency and at the scale that we need to avert climate chaos. And I believe that passing the For the People Act is the best way that we have to pave the way for that sort of meaningful climate policy and that young people aren't talking about it. They're not thinking about it yet. And UNPAC is here to change that. And we want students and young people to be on the front lines of advocating for democracy reform where we belong because passing this thing is going to take unprecedented organizing and that's what young people are known for. So that is what led us to launching Unpack at this really important moment for fixing our broken democracy.
1: Well, you guys are connecting some really important dots and it's it's a narrative that I think makes a lot of sense And is still lost on a lot of people, and so it seems like there's a gap Mm -hmm. that you're really looking to fill. You've both outlined social justice and climate change as ultimate issues that you Mm -hmm. want to see fixed, that you want to see reformed, and what you're essentially arguing, it sounds like to me, is there's no way to get there without fixing democracy first. It reminds me of the movie Apollo thirteen. I maybe dating myself a little bit here, but there's this fantastic scene where they have this giant mess and they're all talking about, well, we've got to fix this. We've got to fix this. And one engineer jumps in and says, guys, guys, power is everything. And it's basically the argument that you're making, which is first, the way we determine political power and who has a voice in this country, we have to fix that. Otherwise, everything else we focus on won't work. So maybe you can connect one more dot for me and for our listeners. So you wanna get to these ultimate goals and the way through the first step is democracy, pro-democracy reform, HR1. What are the pieces of HR1 that are most important that will achieve those democratic fixes that will get us to the the place we all wanna get?
3: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thanks for the question. I love HR1, and I think there are lots of really important pieces, but I'll just say first something that I used to always say to our students on the Bernie campaign, which I think is still really relevant to the work we're doing with Unpack, which is that Bernie Sanders was the only candidate who had a national student organizing program that was resourced and staffed and invested in by the campaign. And that is ultimately why I worked for him. I actually went around to every single candidate. At the time, there were many, I'm sure we all recall this past cycle. And I pitched myself as being the person who could run their national student organizing program. And Bernie Sanders was the only one who took that opportunity and decided to invest in a program. And he did that because he believes in young people, even though we don't have a lot of political power. And we should have an enormous amount of political power considering our size, our population, but we don't. And that's for two main reasons. Reason number one, campaigns are grossly expensive and take millions and millions of dollars to run and win. And young people don't have a lot of money to donate to those campaigns. Reason number two, we don't vote very often. And that's because we are systematically disenfranchised, whether that's by lacking civics education in school or because it's logistically very difficult to go vote on a school day, especially if you don't have a polling location on your campus. We are systematically kept away from the polls and we do not have the political power that We could or should, if our democracy functioned. And the For the People Act would get big money out of politics or reduce its influence and make it much easier for us to vote. And those two things alone would dramatically expand and maintain political power for our generation more than any piece of legislation that we have seen in our lifetimes. So the ways that the For the People Act does that in terms of getting big money out of politics, the main ones that we think are really crucial are working to overturn Citizens United, so reducing the role again of big money in politics, ending gerrymandering everywhere. Again, if the For the People Act were just ending gerrymandering, we would probably be almost as excited about it as we are with all the other incredible bells and whistles, but ending gerrymandering everywhere so that politicians of both parties can no longer entrench themselves because both parties are guilty of this when they are in power. And then public financing of elections. Um, you know The voting rights, the voter suppression aspects of these past elections and of the For the People Act get a lot of attention, but we really believe that campaign finance reform is also crucial to having a functional democracy that is accountable to constituents because right now the incentive systems in Congress are fundamentally broken. Politicians and candidates are incentivized to spend money with people, spend time, excuse me, with people who can give them lots of money. And that is not our generation. That means that they are not spending their time listening to young people and our needs and our expectations for our elected leaders. So campaign finance reform and public financing of elections specifically, which would not use taxpayer dollars, but would mean that you do not need to be a millionaire or know a lot of millionaires to run for office and win, we think are really crucial aspects of the For the People Act. And then of course, the wish list of things that any country calling itself a democracy should already have, but America doesn't when it comes to voter access. So things like same day, automatic voter registration, re-enfranchisement of felons, which would really do a lot to help dismantle systemic racism, as Jocelyn was mentioning before, since most former felons are people of color disproportionately. And then increasing polling locations and access in places like college campuses, communities of color, indigenous reservations. So all of those things I mentioned are things we're really excited about. Broadly, we think again that the For the People Act would reduce the role of big money in politics and expand the electorate and protect the vote. And that again, those two things alone would really get our generation to a point of political power that we could be inhabiting if we all voted early and often and that our votes actually mattered.
1: Well, we're having one of those audio moments here in the world of radio where Paul is muted.
0: (laughs) It's very rare. Um, (laughs)
2: Jocelyn, anything you want to highlight? The one thing, I mean, we started off saying that democracy, needing structural democracy reform is absolutely necessary when it comes to trying to address the multiple different crises that not only young people, but the public here in this country and just the world in general. And part of the, the reason I didn't start off with democracy reform, right? I I came into this issue after organizing for 10 years, since I was in high school. And as I mentioned earlier, a lot of the reasons I got involved were for personal reasons, and it wasn't because it was an extracurricular activity but it was because there was an, a real need and people that I cared about were actually suffering. And so I, for past 10 years, I've been involved. I've gotten arrested at, in Congress on, at the Hill. I have marched, I have lobbied, I have introduced legislation. Um, I've also been an electoral campaign as Shana was saying. So I've tried to participate in many different ways to try to address the multiple crises that we're seeing and at times with a fantastic strategy with a ton of investment and people committed we're able to get wins but a lot of times we lose and i'm honestly tired of losing and the thing is that when we lose people suffer you know like the fact that we are what is it now like half a million people have passed away from COVID-19, and that could have been a vote avoided. And part of that happened was because our leaders have failed to really address the pandemic. These are all things that HR1 and the For the People Act can alleviate. And so it is that is the reason why I have come to democracy reform, because I keep hitting a wall. And after doing my own analysis and speaking to other experts, I've realized that it doesn't matter what kind of strategy we have. It doesn't matter how much finances our campaign has, if we don't formally restructure the way our democracy exists, we're going to keep losing and people are going to continue hurting.
0: Well, let me just say say something about that, because both Shainer and Jocelyn worked on my campaign, which was unsuccessful, but has given birth to this wonderful thing called Unpack and we're talking with Shayna Gallagher and Jocelyn Garcia here on Beyond Politics with Paul Hodes and Matt Roberson. I'm very glad that you had me come and talk today. Um, I think, Matt Roberson, we're ready to take a short break, and then we're going to come back and talk about bagels and Bialis and other important, important things in the lives of America. I'm interested in the fact that you both worked for Senator Sanders, and we heard a little from him in the last segment. Mm-hmm. So you clearly come from a highly progressive political place. At, at least, if that's what uh, people are going to hear about you working for for Bernie, um, that's the assumption. But you're making you're explicitly making plans to hire conservative student organizers to try to appeal to people across the political spectrum of all political ideologies? So how are two Bernieistas gonna, gonna gonna convince conservative young people to go to work for a democratic bill? Um, how do you make the case to a young conservative and, and isn't HR1 actually gonna hurt the Republican Party, which as we speak, is doing everything it can all across the country to make sure people can't vote.
3: It's a very good question. And it's going to be a challenge. But despite our origins on the political left, we are fiercely nonpartisan and fiercely committed to bringing in and working with Any and all students and young people who agree that corruption and big money in politics is bad and democracy is good. And we actually think that that's most people. And the thing about the For the People Act or HR1 is that we think it will actually harm or hurt, as you said, Paul, reduce power for both parties. We believe that it is going to make our democracy more functional and accountable and make it more difficult for politicians of both parties to entrench themselves politically. And that again, it will incentivize politicians on both sides of the aisle to actually reach out to and listen to their constituents rather than spending the bulk of their time as they do now fundraising and with big money donors. So we believe that the bill despite being introduced by Democrats is actually going to benefit people, American people, on all sides and in all corners of the political spectrum landscape, what have you. And so though our biggest difficulty in recruiting conservatives is going to be the fact that this bill was introduced by Democrats and therefore has a perceived liberal bent, we do know that the one issue that Americans of all ages can agree on these days is that corruption and big money in politics is bad and that overwhelmingly, the two-party system doesn't work for them and that neither political party really represents them well. We hear every election cycle, right? This is a lesser of two evils decision. And so while there are definitely prominent conservative young people who may have supported a certain former president, for example, who we are not going to be able to recruit to work with us, we actually believe that the majority of young people, especially those conservatives who agree that climate change is real and a problem and want the Republican Party to be a party of conservation and traditional conservatism, we do have the potential to work with. Because again, this is about a generational statement that our Congress doesn't work for us. And that's because it's fundamentally broken. And if we can fix it and make our democracy More legitimately democratic, that our generation, regardless of our other views, which may be disparate, will still be able to have a future that we can look forward to more than the current broken democracy um, would have us inherit. So, we believe that there is a lot of space for common ground. And we know a lot of young conservatives really do care about draining the swamp. That was a campaign motto that really resonated with people for a reason. And so, While we may not be able to work with the president of the college Republicans, there are a lot of conservatives and independents and moderate students that we know we will be able to reach out to because overwhelmingly this generation is angry and feels disillusioned and detached. And that's not by accident. And we intend to help those folks to realize their own agency through organizing and to realize that a more functional accountable democracy is possible, and that all of these crises and problems that we face as a generation, we won't be able to take action on until we fix this root problem. So we've already recruited some conservatives to work with us, and they understand that we can work together on the things we agree on, even if there are lots of other things that we don't agree on. So it is happening, and by no means are the majority of our organizers going to be conservatives, but that's because young people are disproportionately more progressive than older generations. And so we wanna make sure that we are casting a wide net and again, working with every young person who thinks big money in politics is bad and democracy is good. Um, and we're, we're really committed to ensuring that we, we keep that tent really big um, and that we are really making this about the generational divide that has led to a lot of the problems we face as a generation.
2: And if I may add, a lot of how that recruitment is taking place is on campuses. We're, leaving, we're leaning heavily on our student organizers that are being paid by us to essentially organize their peers and organize the classrooms, whether they are in person or on a Zoom webinar like this as well. And we believe, and we also uh, executed this philosophy in the Barney campaign, that students are in the best position to organize their peers. They're in a better position than Shana and I, they're better position than Senator or whoever may be because they understand what their peers are thinking about in the front lines. And a lot of times the conversations that they have with their peers, they're also sharing their personal stories as to how they came about democracy reform and also the For the People Act. And it is through those narratives that they're able to connect with other students
0: no matter what their political alliance may be. You, know, well, Matt, you guys are raising Paul, I, you want just, to go go yeah, ahead. Just before just before, I know you have an important question, but I just wanted to share a perspective with our listeners and Shana and Jocelyn because I was a congressman and Matt Robeson's job was to make sure that I spent as much of my time as possible raising money. That that was one of Matt's main nudges for me I mean sure he, he it's it's a it's a fact it's a sad fact but he he would make sure that that there was a a driver waiting for me outside uh, the committee room where, where I would make a brief appearance and then rush back to my beige windowless cubicle to have a staffer waiting for me with piles of call sheets to call people who used to be my friends. And I would often uh, have people come in to talk to me about reform and then rush off to do more fundraising calls and make sure that I could get to the party with the lobbyists in the evening. And I wasn't alone in doing this. This was the way and is the way of life for every single member of the United States Congress. Call time is what is on our brains all the time. It's call time all the time. And it's both Republicans and Democrats. It's progressives, liberals, and conservatives. The money machine is what drives campaigns. It's what drives Mm -hmm. your reelection. It's what drives you while you're there. Um, And, you know, I say sometimes people prefer the misery of the known to the mystery of the unknown. And right now, campaign finance reform and what it looks like and what it means is a pretty large unknown. And when you get to Washington, you're taught pretty quickly how to play the game and everybody mm-hmm. plays it. So I'm, I'm just curious about, about the approach of Unpack and uh, all the people you're going to work with about how do you wean how do you wean politicians off what they're comfortable with? Because everybody's comfortable raising money. But the idea of, of not raising money is just like, I can't get my brain around
1: it. Well, well wait, let me, let me connect a dot here because I actually think what you just said, Paul, which by the way, if anyone wants to hear more about the reality of this 20 to 30 hours a week doing call time, which means you're in a windowless cubicle, calling people and saying, would you please give me a $1,000? It's pretty dreadful. I think that point that you're making, Paul, is sort of exactly the point that Shana and Jocelyn were making to your last question, which is there is a divide between the line that institutional Republicans have to walk, right? The elected officials in Washington and the base and real voters and actual people and even some of the rank and file members of Congress on the Republican side, when you really get them off the record in private. Because Paul, you've had these conversations and I'm gonna turn this back to our guests in a second, but like you've had these conversations with Republican colleagues. No one likes the fundraising. No one likes the call time. And just to kind of pile on uh, Shana's previous point, there's evidence that you're right, that at a grassroots level, conservative young people actually agree with the same aims that you're laying out for UNPAC. We saw it in state referenda in 2018, where pro-democracy initiatives that were on the ballot across the country substantially outperformed Democratic candidates, and they had an 87% win streak and we're talking about things like independent redistricting commissions outpacing democratic top of the ticket candidates by an average of 20 points in places like colorado missouri these are these are not like left-wing bastions so i think the point that i'm hearing between paul and between our guests and now i'm going to flip this as a question back to our guests is is what you're really talking about that there is a divide between top level republican leadership in washington who are hooked on the current system because they know it is their safe power enclave that will keep them in office, that there's, there's a real divergence there between that crowd and what actual rank and file conservatives believe both at the grassroots level and even kind of behind the scenes in Congress. Yes,
3: couldn't have said it better myself. No, absolutely. That's exactly what we believe. And we think the same can be true for young people on the left. You know, we are calling the kettle black. We are dubious that the Democratic Party can be a legitimate vehicle for democracy reform right now while they have the power to do so. And that's because they're just as guilty as courting big money donors and dialing for dollars and being incentivized by the broken system to spend the majority of their time doing that. And that's not because they're bad people. It's because they're operating within a broken system. And so we hope that we're wrong and we're going to hold them accountable to making sure that they can pass this powerful reform that would help fix the system um, while they have the power to do so. But yes, I think overwhelmingly young people understand that the system is rigged on both sides. Neither party represents us and that we need structural reform. Well, they don't understand this yet. This is what we're, we're hoping to help them to understand, right? We need structural reform if we do actually want to see solutions to the problems that we care about as a generation. And to be clear, we're not gonna pass the For the People Act and then pass a Green New Deal the next day, right? This is going to be the long haul. This is a long-term effort, but we believe that in terms of paving the way for functional accountable government, passing the For the People Act now is the best shot that we have and that that will ultimately pave the way for things like climate policy, more affordable health care, canceling student debt. And also that, you know, to your point, Paul, this reform would really fix the system or at least incentivize folks to not play pay to play in the way that they do now. And for example, the public financing apparatus within the For the People Act means that if I say, I'm not going to take any corporate or PAC money, I am going to spend my time courting small dollar donors in my community, that I am financially rewarded for that. And I can actually six to one match the contributions that I have received. And so we believe that by creating a system that functions not just based purely on how much money can I raise exclusively, but how much can I actually go out and speak with my constituents and solicit small dollar contributions from them such that I can raise enough money to be competitive that that will lead to more accountable politicians. And Paul, I really appreciate you bringing it up because it's a terrible, awful system. And I know that people have become comfortable with it but I really don't think they're happy. And I really think that most politicians didn't get into Congress to spend all their time fundraising. I think a lot of them really want to spend their time better representing their constituents and that this legislation would allow them to do that.
0: So speaking of money, since, since you raised the issue of money, let me let me ask this. Uh, according to media reports, you've all very successfully raised about $200,000 for unpack. Um, You've been working the phones. You've been sending out letters. You've been uh, out there raising dough. Um, So (laughs) isn't the idea of a PAC raising money to end the way money operates in politics with PACs kind of ironic? I mean, is that the point? Um, Or is this just an inevitable feature of the way the world works in that in order to change the game you got to play the game and you can't change the game if you can't play the game and and you're not really playing the game, but are you playing the game and so 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 how do you, how do you, how does, do you toss and turn at night over the irony of this.
3: Again, the answer is yes. That is the point and it is ironic, but also it's inevitable. I mean, as grassroots organizers, we understand that money is power. And so we need to raise money to be able to do cool, good work. And so that's what we're doing. Um, our subheading is, or one of our mottos is the PAC to end all PAC. So we do recognize the irony and we hope that our efforts will make money less influential, influential in political spaces, But we we know that we need to raise this money now to be able to compensate students for their valuable work. And at the same time, we're not using that money to lobby politicians. We do think that it's a different sort of fundraising and a different sort of spending. And we're fortunate that there is so much momentum being generated around this legislation that fundraising has been relatively Enjoyable for us. So far, it has not been nearly as stressful as you might think starting a new organization as 2 26 year olds. Um, but we are really fortunate to have received that money. And again, we are 90% of those resources are being used to compensate students for their valuable work organizing their schools. so We feel really good about fundraising and about paying people to organize because that hasn't always been the case um, in our lives and definitely throughout history and so Um, yes, it's ironic, yes, we think it's funny, and yes, that is slightly inevitable, but we do hope that Unpack's work will decrease the role of money in politics so that the next Unpack, the next youth organization doesn't have to raise as much money to have an
2: impact. One thing that I will add as to why a lot of our resources are going to pain student organizers is that oftentimes one of the barriers specifically for black and brown students and also working class students and young people to get involved in politics, even though it's directly impacting them is because they have to volunteer. And a lot of students who are working class and also people of color are not able to do that again, even though it impacts them. So something that we've been very intentional with our budgeting is ensuring that a good portion of our money is again, being, given to these student organizers who are dedicating a good portion of their week time in addition to other jobs, in addition to their studies to be able to organize on this issue. And without that money, unfortunately, there could could have been some gaps within our base where we wouldn't have working class students, where we wouldn't have as many black and brown students present. And that is what often happens in so many movement spaces and organizations that depend on volunteers and their free time.
1: Well, that's a really great point. And you know, it, it seems a little weird to go from actually a profound point that you're making here to something where, boy, I don't know, I might regret this because I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm about to explosively uncap the toothpaste tube. But we've already heard in this show from Senator Sanders who made a cameo appearance. And I am going to go ahead and open the floodgates. We have about five minutes left. I would like to invite our guests here, Jocelyn Shannon. You can decide which of you goes first to tell either your best Bernie Sanders story for our listeners or to do your best Bernie Sanders impression. Or uh, both. You, you pick whoever goes first.
2: Or both. For don't it.
1: don't be don't be you can limited. Do, you could do your limited. story in a Bernie Sanders voice. Depends on how creative you feel.
2: Okay. I need to take a moment to think. Give me one second. <laughs>
1: That's known as
0: filibustering. People, this is the sound of Jocelyn Garcia thinking.
3: (laughs) While while we're all here today, uh, it's just really important to understand that it's the millionaires and the billionaires that are controlling a government. And it's really just the 1% that are benefiting socialism for the rich, right? And uh, that's what unpack is going to change. So I, I commend you ladies and I applaud your work.
2: All right. I I can't unfortunately do as great of an impression as Shana did, but I can have a great story though. And um, I wasn't there for it. It was told. So during one of um, the Senator's rallies in Los Angeles, and he did a rally at a high school and my parents. So as I've gone through this political journey, they've also come on this journey with them. And I've got them politically involved, and also believe that change is possible. And so they came to a Bernie rally with me and I got them VIP seats. And so Bernie, Bernie, every time he steps off the stage, he goes to the railing and shakes hands. And so I told my parents, make sure you go to the railing and meet him. And so they went up there. My parents speak very little English. So they see Bernie and my dad, a Mexican, very proud of it. He's wearing a sombrero, a cowboy hat. He's the only one wearing that. And there's this great picture where he and my mom are saying hi to Bernie. And keep in mind, there's thousands of people surrounding Bernie. And Bernie is just talking to my parents. And my dad says, oh, I'm Jocelyn's dad. Do you know Jocelyn? And Bernie's like, oh, yeah, Jocelyn. And my dad tries to take a selfie, but he had the camera the opposite way. So he took a picture of the crowd and not Bernie. But thank God Bernie's photographer was there and was, and was able to capture the photo. So that's my funny story of my dear father and also my abuelo, the old Bernie and uncle, I suppose.
0: <laughs> Let me just say that I am very proud of Shayner and Jocelyn. They are doing very, very good work. That's very important. Going way back to my days as an organizer, I recognize that young people were very very important to the effort to reform. And I've tried to reform everything. I tried to reform the city of Burlington. I tried to reform the Congress. I tried to reform the Senate. And now I control the budget. So for all you people who are worried about where your money is going, I guess the joke's on you because I'm in charge now. Well, we really appreciate
1: it. We we really, we did it. We, we really let the two, that was great though. That was, that was really great. That's, and you know what? It's really, I I have to say now I'm going to editorialize. It's always my job on this show to be the straight man. I am the Kermit, the frog in the middle of the Muppet show on this show. But I will say, first of all, Joseline, it's a great story to hear about your family meeting, being part of this process, you know, coming to this country, being part of this process. That's inspiring. And I will also editorialize that one of the reasons we were really excited to have the both of you on this show is that I really believe in this stuff. I really, that's, mm-hmm. that's where I've, I, I, it was actually a real privilege for me to work in the Capitol, to work in Congress, to be part of the process. And I truly do get inspired and excited by young people, young professionals who are getting hands in on the process, especially on an issue that I really believe in. So quickly, before we go, what is the website if people wanna get involved with you for Unpack?
2: It is Unpack, so un-pack.org.
1: Un-pack.org. Paul, take us out. We got 10 seconds. Folks, this is beyond
0: politics. We've been talking with Shayna Gallagher and Jocelyn Garcia, the founders of Unpack Get Involved Un-pack.com. We'll see you next week.
2: Thank oh, you. Thank you. <laughs> Bye.